This is Paul. This is Wayne. Well, good morning, guys. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Is um, It feels like it's been a while since we recorded on Saturday. Am I imagining that? It's been about, I think this is three weeks since we've recorded okay. on a Saturday. It, it, it at feels least. like a while. It feels like Here. a while. Well, and we know that because we haven't gotten to talk to Wayne yet about Man of Steel. So, uh, you know, we're saving that. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, issue three of Man of Steel in just a little bit, and we'll get the Wayne perspective. Yeah, that means it's been at least three weeks since yeah. we're on uh, third issue yeah. of uh, weekly series. All right. Oh. But, you know, you know, we, we couldn't talk last week because Wayner was down in beautiful scenic Metropolis. Yep. It was the 40th year of the Superman celebration this year. Wow. So they've been doing this thing for 40 years. And I've described it before. It's kind of like a county fair with a Superman theme. Uh, this year I got to meet Brandon Routh, which was really cool. He had uh, – when they when he got up and did his talk, there was a lot of conversation about he's, – he's, uh, he's talking about how much fun he had playing Superman. He's like, it's okay to like the movies. Like I know there's a lot of stigma around it and people that like it are kind of uh, – Kind of keep that to themselves, but it is okay. You have permission to like the movie if you want to like it. <laughs> I thought that was really amusing. Well, and we should probably clarify something for our audience. Wayne didn't meet Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh met Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. You're Wayne from, true. from Knights of Rainsboro, the rambling ricochet. You're motherfucking Wayne. That's how it went. <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's, it's okay to like my movie, Wayne. You're the, god, you're the goddamn Wayne. <laughs> yeah, so this is the second person who's played Superman that I've uh, met at the the festival. Because last year it was uh, Dean Kane. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've met Dean Kane. Uh, nice guy. Yep, yeah, got my picture taken with Brandon Routh though, because it was. I said I actually I thought he did a really good job in that movie. The problem with the movie Superman Returns was not him. No, not at all. No. Yeah, it was in the writing, some of the creepy Superman stuff they did, and it wasn't him. He did a good job in that role, and he really kind of portrayed the the feel of Superman. Mm-hmm. So I was ha- really happy to meet him. Yeah, and, the, Superman, the Superman moments in that movie don't bother me nearly as much as just almost everything else. Exactly. Yeah. I did all the usual things of a little bit of Superman trivia and – uh, I didn't do as much of that this year because they had a lot of kids going, and I'm not going to ask kids difficult questions. <laughs> you should. I, I, I do I'm it all the time. <laughs> Where do babies come from? <laughs> nice. So well, yeah, I had a ball out there as usual. Part of it is just being around so many other fans because it's not always popular to be a Superman fan. Right. You know, Superman is the punching bag for most people that – you know, that are looking for comics to tear down and being in a town with thousands of people that are fans of the character as well was it just it's energizing. And they had a really good panel. They have. Uh, so Superman, the uh, the creators actually created him in I'm trying to remember which city it was in. Uh, but there's a NASA facility there. And so the people in that facility have a presentation that is. You know, the science of Superman. And so NASA came out and did this presentation at the festival as well. And that was a lot of fun. I found out something I didn't realize about Avengers. The first Avengers movie, that big scene where 
Loki comes out of the portal, that that yeah. huge room, that's a NASA facility. Hmm. And that is a uh, vacuum chamber. It feels a little sacrilegious for them to come and talk about the Avengers movie at the Superman celebration, though. <laughs> he actually made a comment about it. He's like, uh, yeah, it's not part of the presentation, but I do have a video if anybody's interested. But it's not DC. Boo. And, <laughs> but it, it was really cool to know that that whole scene, they filmed it there in a giant vacuum chamber because it just looked really cool. And uh, it showed some of the the crew of it saying, you know, we, we couldn't have built a set that looked this good. You know, what's funny to me, you know, and this is something that and it's clearly why I don't have that job. You know, when 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 someone looks at a script and they're like, you need to find locations, you know, the location scout for it. Like, how does that location scout be like, hey, you know what? Uh, they, they need this like giant room where where there's a portal. Let me, let me look around and see where I can find it and come across it in, like, some random NASA facility in Illinois. Hmm. I don't know. Just interesting. Well, and, you yeah. know, the, the location scouts, you know, who, who are just really lazy, those are the guys that, you know, those are for the big green screen movies, right? Yeah. They just, I would just green screen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a location scout. He rolls up with a giant green screen under his arm, rolled up. <laughs> well, in fairness, they were talking location scouting area, so you're not going to have a DC movie there. Because yeah. all of the green screen guys are in D.C. Ah, good point. Hey, random uh, question for you regarding your experience with Brandon Routh. Yep. How much did that cost to, to get a picture with Mr. Routh? $40. Really? Yep. Surprise. Wait, wait was that a cell phone picture or a, a, a camera picture? That was a cell phone picture. Okay. I, I just, uh, you know. I, I was curious, you know, like you go to like an awesome con and I've never been to a convention that has Brandon Routh, but you go to awesome con or something like that. And it's probably a solid 50, 60 bucks to take a picture with like a Dean Kane or a Tom Welling or something like that. Um, but I was curious if Superman Celebration, because of the nature of it being kind of a small town festival type thing, was was cheaper. Yeah, for a selfie, it was 40. Uh, they had a you could have him sign stuff and there was a price for signing. The other actors that were down there, they had, uh, and you know, you guys know I'm horrible with act, actor names. Uh, yes. The the other two that were down there were from uh, in with him. There were a lot of other actors and actresses there, but were from Krypton. So the guy that plays Adam Strange and the guy that plays Brainiac. Oh, that's well, cool. And I don't know any I, of those guys' names in Krypton, so you're in you're you're in good company, Wayne. <laughs> well, and that was the thing; it was really sad. You go down, you go in there, and those three were the three that were put together in a building. Mm-hmm. And you have this huge gathering of people around Brandon Routh, and you have those two are kind of sitting at tables by themselves. Well, and Brandon Routh has the added benefit of not having played Superman, but currently playing Ray Palmer in uh, Legends of Tomorrow, right? Yeah, and there was a so, lot of talk about that too. Yeah, where. A lot of people haven't seen Krypton yet. Yeah. I was going to ask, have you guys finished season one of Krypton? No, I've no. got like nine episodes sitting on my DVR right now. Yeah, I've still only watched a couple episodes of it. The rest are on the DVR. It's but, over you now, know, right? The first season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on a related note, I have been burning my way through season four of The Flash. It hit Netflix not too long ago. And I got to tell you, season four of The Flash is effing terrific. Yeah. I just watched the last two episodes last night. No spoilers, but uh, I, I am I am just thoroughly enjoying this season. Hmm. I really enjoyed season three and season four is, is I think, better than season three. Yeah. Season four I thought was really good. Yeah. You, 
even though I can't remember a Grodd episode. There, <laughs> there may have been one, but I don't remember a Grodd episode. Yeah. But he was on Legends of Tomorrow, so I did get my Grodd fix this year. There but I'm like on – I mean, I started watching last weekend, and I've only watched – I watched uh, Friday and Saturday last weekend, and I watched last night uh, – and I'm already on like episode 11. So <laughs> I mean, I'm just burning through it. Well, you know what? Uh, one thing that Superman and Flash both have in common is that they both have iconic runs written by Jeff Johns. And, Look at you. Right? Look at you. Yeah. Uh, uh. That's what we hashtag transition. Um, and uh, Jeff Johns has stepped down from his chief creative officer position at DC um dc which is not altogether surprising because he's been kind of doing everything right uh so i mean it kind of makes sense that he would transition out of that role given how much stuff he's doing you know how much writing he's doing and how much work he's doing on the uh the dc cinematic universe Mm -hmm. so and not too surprising but and i think he's just uh, i even though he's, you know, the, the, the rumor is that, well, I, say, I shouldn't say rumor, the news from insiders is that he's genuinely excited about it. I'd imagine he was pushed out a little bit, um, <laughs> you know, because you've got the, the Didio, Jim Lee kind of regime going on over there, and they've got their plans, and Jeff Johns has his own plans. But um, he has taken on a role, uh, you know, he's taking on this, like, writer-producer um, role uh, with DC, and uh, he's launched Mad Ghost Productions, which is a new banner that will see him work on content for films, television, and comic books. Lots of stuff announced that he'll be working on. He is obviously already co-written um, Wonder Woman 84. Uh, one of his first uh, projects after that will be Green Lantern Corps. He had a hand in writing and producing Aquaman. So he's definitely got his finger on the pulse of the cinematic universe. Um, he's also co-developing and executive producing, um, along with writing, the new Titans TV series that's coming to the new DC streaming service. Um, and he'll be working. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm kind of I'm kind of torn now with that because the Titans series looks really bad, but knowing that he has a part of writing it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I liked his run on Titans back in the day. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I I here's my thing. You know he gave all kinds of notes about Justice League and nobody paid attention to them. Yeah. Um, and so he is only doing a good job over in, on the movie sets if people will listen. <laughs> well, they've got you know? the new guy, um, you know, over at Warner Brothers, you know, who's in charge of the DC Universe, who I think uh-huh. is trying to course correct things from what I hear or what I read. No, no one's actually explicitly phone called me and told me this. Um, but you know, the, 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 the media sites like deadline and Hollywood reporter have this new guy really kind of trying to make a change on that, on that front. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. But I I will say from, for what it's worth looking at it, I think Jeff Johns may have been the best thing that happened to DC comics since John Byrne came in and did man of steel. I agree. No, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. I, you know, I really like most of the things Jeff Johns writes. I mean, I really enjoy his uh, his uh, pre-Flashpoint Superman run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the man made Aquaman cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that he – I think my favorite thing he's ever done, it was his many, many years on Justice Society. Yes. I loved his run on Justice Society. Um, he's just – you know, he's got a – 
he, like Brian Michael Bendis, he's got a fuck ton of stories he wants to tell. Mm-hmm. Unlike Brian Michael Bendis, he doesn't have to break the universe in order to tell a story. And that's what I really find valuable about John's is that, you know, you get this very, very uh, real sense that he doesn't just like the character he's writing. He adores the character he's writing. And he embraces that, right? He embraces the things about the characters that he adores rather than taking them away. Yeah, the continuity. I mean, he just – I am sure that when he comes out of writing one of his stories, he's just sticky with continuity, right? I mean, he's just got it all over him because he doesn't push it aside uh, like a lot of writers do. So many writers in, in modern comics you know, will say, well, screw continuity. That gets in the way of the story I want to tell. And Jeff Johns very much is a writer who's like, man, the continuity is what makes these guys great. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's part of the beauty of the way he told stories in Justice Society. He embraced all all of that conflict, you know, all of all of the piece, all the fiddly bits in the, in the backstory that made no sense, you know, to One other the reasons. Writers. I love his writing so much. I mean, yeah, no, that resonates with me. Yeah, same here. I mean, I I think the continuity in, in comics is what makes comics so wonderful. When you start cutting that away, I am a whole lot less interested. Agreed. And. You know, and here's the thing, you know, when I started reading comics, there was all of nobody had thought about rebooting your comic book universes back then. Right. And, you know, so I jumped into comics back in 76 was was full in a whole hog in the 80s prior to, you know, infinite uh, uh, crisis on the infinite earths prior to anything, you know, Marvel thought about doing. And I got caught up on the continuity. I got interested in the continuity. I was able to figure it all out. I don't understand why we feel like uh, modern readers can't do that. But we've got writers like Jeff Johns who embrace it and bring it forward. So, And, you know, speaking of his comic stuff, um, obviously he's writing Doomsday Clock. Uh, He is going to do uh, a new what they call pop-up label called The Killing Zone. Um, that's going to focus on new or lesser known uh, DC characters and titles. And, you know, Jeff Johns, like, loves some of these DC characters mm-hmm. that, you know, he, he really wants to embrace, like, Stars and Stripe and and characters like that. So I'd imagine that's kind of the area for that, uh, that it's out of continuity tales. He's also going to write a new Shazam comic series, you know, to, I guess to, to lead up to the new movie, as well right. as the a comic titled Three Jokers, uh, written, or excuse me, drawn by Jason Fabok. Um, and that's, uh, you know, kind of spinning off of the stuff we saw in DC Rebirth and the Doomsday War, or not Doomsday, um, the Dark Side War. Right. Um, and Jason Fabok, I mean, just sign me up. Just, just you know, just take my money. <laughs> no, it sounds great. I uh, I am less enthused that Jim Lee is uh, backfilling his, uh, Jeff Johns' old position as, uh, you know, creative executive at DC. Um, I... I recognize, as I've said many times, that he that uh, Jim Lee is a technically skilled artist. I uh, am not convinced that he is, in fact, an artist. And uh, I, 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 I am not convinced that he is a good creative storyteller. His recent run, his relaunch on what were the, we, call, like, we calling that series? The, the heroes that rolled out of uh, metal? Uh, well, the, was it The Impossible Men? Well, no, it was it was that, that whole umbrella. That oh, the new age from. of heroes. Yeah, sucked. I mean, I, it's, it's a failure, I, basically. None yeah. of the ori- none of the artists who they announced on the original ti- on the titles are are still with the titles, and 
we're only a couple of issues in. Yeah. Yeah. That it was, it, it's definitely a failed launch. Um, and you know, I think they're quietly backpedaling from that right yeah, now. There's only one book I can think of that's good out of it. Well, and let's be honest. I like the concept of the terrifics more than I like the book, <laughs> the terrifics. More than, more than the implementation of the terrifics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I, I love the idea of it and I love Jeff Lemire and Ivan Rice and Doc Shaner. I'm 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 struggling to find something to keep me lasting on that book. It doesn't feel like it has the heart that that I was hoping it would. But you know, one one of the things that DC is trying to focus on, and uh, you know, speaking to Superman and Jeff Johns and all that, is this new Brian Michael Bendis run on Superman. And so this week, the weekly series uh, Man of Steel continues, third issue by Brian Michael Bendis. This issue has art by Ryan Sook. So and, Wayne and and oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, Paul, you and I have had a lot to say about the first two issues of Man of Steel, but we have not yet heard from uh, the Wayne train himself, Mr. Wayne Cole. So, Wayne, you know, you as a super Superman fan, tell us what you think about the uh, Man of Steel uh, reimagining of uh, Superman by one Mr. Brian Michael Bendis. So I'm going to give it the whole miniseries. First of all, I'll say that there are things that I actually like about this. I think he has a good voice for Superman when he's in character and he's talking and he's he's happy. He's cheery. He's thinking about citizens and saving people more. He's he has that heroic voice. And I really like that about it. I hate his villain. The we've seen this story before. I uh, I really, really dislike the villain in the story. And what still to this point pisses me off is that Lois and John are gone. They were in the first issue, disappear at the end of it, and he won't get around to telling us because he's Bendis and he has to stretch out every freaking plot point as long as possible. They won't tell us where they're at. They are just gone, and everyone's talking about it, and everyone knows Lois is gone. But we have no idea exactly what happened there. And they are key to the story for me, and I have a hard time accepting that Superman is even able to put on this front of being as happy as he's fronting he is with them gone because but we don't know where they're at or what's going on because it's Bendis and he's got to hold that give until the very end well and I, I think I figured it out already <laughs> I don't know if, if you guys especially after this issue um I, I think Jarrell um came back and and you know offered to take them off planet because of something um, because if you, if you if you look at this issue, the spaceship shows up. Um, there, you know, the 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 door opens, and this guy's wearing green pants. I think that's Jarrell. Just just you know, and he he takes them off planet for whatever reason. I'm assuming we'll find out one page at a time for the next three issues uh, <laughs> what happens. Uh, but I, I that's my thinking. Yeah, it, and if that is, I don't like that plot point at all. I don't like them being gone at all, but if they're going to be gone, that's not a good way to deal with it. Uh, I did really enjoy, uh, he blows off Green Lantern. Green Lantern is reaching out to him, trying to be a friend, and he completely, you know, he flies off. And I like that he thinks about that, and he thinks, you know, nobody else would be able to behave like this, that they put up with it because he's Superman. That, you know, he acknowledges that sometimes he can be a dick. And he gets away with it. I like that train of thought. I liked pulling in Batman to help do the some of the research and Batman's reaction to him disappearing. 
the voices are really good. And so I want to like it, but I really, this is the villain. I just don't care for that storyline at all. And I don't care for Lois and John being gone. And I really dislike the Bendis dragging it out and not telling us what's going on. Wayne has said everything I feel about this book. Um, I, the only, you know, the only thing that Wayne didn't jump on was I think the artwork is gorgeous in issue three. Um, I love the way both, uh, uh, Supergirl and Superman are, are drawn in this book. And I particularly like the way, uh, Bendis has written Supergirl in this book. Um, you know, I love how she addresses the bad guy as future dead guy. <laughs> that, that, that really did tickle me. Hey, future dead guy. I, you know, uh, I, I, I thought that was great. I, I again, I like everything about this book other than the villain, the absence of of John and Lois and, uh, you know, the the decompressed storytelling, you know, that that, you know, Bendis is famous for and, you know, kind of hiding our cheese on on what the hell's going on. Um, I find that frustrating. I think that 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 style of storytelling has really become tropey. I think that it has become uh Really, the the writer's trick to keep you interested to to create a false mystery. You know, it's not a mystery for the protagonist. It's a mystery for the reader. And that annoys me because I feel like for the most part, I should get to know what the protagonist knows. I I don't disagree. If it was if if I was the editor on this book, um, I would probably say, hey, I get what you're trying to do here. But let's take this entire Lois and John story and tell it in the first issue and then move on to the story, yeah. the other story, um, instead of one page at a time. Just tell that story in your first issue and continue on. Yeah. Um, now, one thing, you know, I, I don't have anything different to say about this book than you guys did. Um, right. The only thing I want to mention is that after last issue, you know, we had said how the first half of the book was beautiful. The Doc Shaner art was beautiful. The last mm-hmm. half of the book by Steve Rude, I think it was, was yes. was no bueno. Um, Ryan Sook and Wade Von Grawbadger, who I guess uh, needs a job since Stuart Amonin retired, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they they do a one. I, I think the art on this book is gorgeous, except for the villain. Uh, yeah, and no, I think I, I think the villain. The, my main issue with the villain is just the the, the, the design. design. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, not much. Just, yeah, there. ridiculous. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with how he is drawn from a art standpoint. It's just a horrible design. Yeah, yeah. The concept of the villain is just bad. But you know, I love the, the acting moments. You know, where like Superman in the shadows when uh, he's investigating the arson, and uh, the fireman lady. You know, bumps into him and mm-hmm. how he just. He just seems like such a nice guy. Hey, it's me. Don't don't be scared. Sorry. You know, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Batman frightens her when, she, when he steps out of the shadows. But Batman does that intentionally. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I for the most part, I enjoy this book. I just I, I hate those things I already mentioned. And I've hated that from the jump. Well, speaking of jumping, we're going to yes, jump sir. to the other side, to the other company. We're going to jump from the distinguished competition to Marvel. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, we were, we were talking about our, 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 well, my, I was talking about my distaste for the Terrifics. Um, right. Which is DC's equivalent of the, Mar- of the Marvel Fantastic Four book. And until we get that new Fantastic Four book, we have Marvel 2-in-1. They released an annual, which I find unusual, because I think we're only like six issues in on the series. Um, 
But a Marvel two-in-one annual, The Thing and the Infamous Iron Man, uh, Chip Zdarsky, Declan Shalvey, uh, Jordan Belair, Aaron and I, well, we all read this. Oh, yeah. I'm not missing any Marvel two-in-one. <laughs> you know, I uh, it wasn't until you said that, Paul, that I clued into the fact that this was an annual. Because, See, I, you know, usually annuals kind of take place outside of the continuity of the ongoing story. Mm-hmm. And this is smack dab in the middle of the, the continuity of the ongoing story. See, I like that it was an annual, though, because it focused on Doom mm-hmm. versus the the regular two-in-one. Doom is there, but the focus is more on Torch and Thing. Yeah. And this one worked well as an annual being a Doom focus. What's interesting to me about this book is that this Doom, this incarnation of Doom, the infamous Doctor Doom or the infamous Iron Man, uh, was wrapped up, essentially, in the pages of Iron Man 600, um, and which we didn't talk about on the podcast, but you know, rap was the last issue of the Brian Michael Bendis run, and uh, really kind of you know put the, uh, the 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 dot on the I and and, and cross the T of this uh, Doctor Doom story. So this puts a little dollop of mustard on that. Yeah, it's I I I have enjoyed that run that that mm-hmm. storyline for dr doom and i feel like i know it's actually probably been going on all told two years maybe since secret yeah. wars yeah. um but for me i didn't pick it up you know i hopped out after secret wars for a little bit so it's it's only six months or so since right. i started getting invested in that storyline so it feels like it's wrapping up soon for me too soon right because i'm loving that absolutely that arc but and and now it's over Um, you know, in time for that new fantastic four book, but I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed the story here Mm -hmm. in this book. Um, I enjoyed that conflict in doom. Uh, I enjoyed seeing the new council of reeds and the, the, the sinister council of reeds. Um, right. You know, which they're all sinister. Anytime, anytime (laughs) you get multiverse (laughs) characters, uh, you know, together, it's always going to go wrong. No, the council of might as well be the evil collection of, yeah, (laughs) No, no, no. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You'll see. One thing I had wondered about with the storyline from the beginning was why Doom had thought that Reed and Sue and the kids were dead. Because he was the one character that should know based on how Secret Wars ended. And I think we got a good answer for that in this one. No, I agree. That, that, That was actually something Reed did. When he fixed his face, he made him believe that he was dead. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the story of this book, and while I usually rather enjoy Declan Shelby's artwork, I hated it for this book. You know what's I, weird is I strongly dislike the artwork in this book. Yeah, I, and I like Declan Shelby, and I, yeah, I, did like you? you like you. Um, and I found it interesting that this is his work because it it doesn't look anything like like if you hadn't told me it was him, well, mm-hmm. if they hadn't told me it was him, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. Yeah. There's something different about it. Um, the uh, I, I, I am really particular about how Ben Graham is drawn. And, you know, he's a, he's a hard character to draw with all those you know nooks and crannies in his uh, in his rocky hide. And some guys nail it and other guys. He just looks like a pile of rocks. And that's kind of the way he looked in this book to me. He, he did not have uh, the the very imposing structure that, that I tend to like in, in my depiction of the thing. 
Um, and I'll also say that the body proportions seemed off to me, particularly in shots on Dr. Doom. It's like his torso was too long. Uh, there are just, just pieces of this that just did not work for me. I, I totally agree. I, I, from a story standpoint, to, I, you know, on board, but art just, you know, it, it I, and I don't know when this book was actually produced, you know, with an annual, it could just be, you know, a story that they've had in the hopper for a while. But like you said, it kind of fits in with what's going on in the book right now. Yeah, it fits perfectly. Yeah. So it, it's still, if you enjoyed Secret Wars, which which I did, I actually quite enjoyed Secret Wars. Yeah. Um, it, it It's a good, like, like you said, you know, it's a good capper or, you know, mm-hmm. a little side story of both the infamous Iron Man, but it also kind of reads as an epilogue to that whole Secret yeah. War story. I would agree. I mean, I, I think that, that this is a nice touch to both of those stories. Artwork aside, I think it's a nice touch. Well, and somehow we not only spent four dollars on Man of Steel, we not <laughs> only spent five dollars on Marvel Two and One, we also all spent the six dollars for Thor Number One by Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo. Uh, if I could have my money back, no, yeah, no shit. doubt. God, this was this was like someone stole six dollars from me. This so was you know, like you know what sold me on the book? Why I bought it? Like, I was already curious because it's a new Thor title. It's a you know they the way they ended the last one I thought he's going to get a hammer built we you know with a shard of uh, Mjolnir and I'm reading the description and one word sold me Juggernaut because mm-hmm. I'm a huge Juggernaut fan but yeah, for anyone that's a fan of Thor this is just they're pissing all over you yeah 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 this 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 book book was uh hard to read for a number of reasons uh not the least of which being the craptastic artwork and coloring in this book um it was hard to look at um i i per i mean i i hate the way this book is drawn uh the color palette is very yellow um very very uh loud sort of uh, gaudy coloring um, you know, lots of lots of yellows and and sort of yellowy green, and I mean, there's just this, sort of this yellow cast to it. You know, it it seems every, every it looks like graffiti face, to me. Yeah, well, every looks, face looks bad. Every well, single one. Just the color palette seemed seedy. You yeah. know, it seemed like a uh, a poorly produced '70s porn film. You know, I mean, it just I I really hated the look of it. But yeah, you're right. I mean the. Just the way, you know, Thor is drawn. Thor is drawn so inconsistently in the book. It's hard, to, you know, when it, when it's a close-up on a space track, who is that? Um, I, I, I really hated this book. I had um, that reaction when I saw the art of Jane Foster. The only yeah. reason I recognized her was she has the thing over her head. Well, and they say That's, she's Jane Foster. <laughs> yeah, that does not look anything like Jane Foster. All of the faces were horrible beginning to end. Yeah. Freaking Namor looks ridiculous. Yeah. No, I mean the, I, I I think that the artistic choices were rather poor in the book. Um, I will also say that uh, the story itself just annoyed the tar out of me, and I don't understand. This is one of those things I don't understand. You're going to give charge me six dollars for this first issue. Why do I need a backup? Why can't you just tell a a a, a larger story? Or hey, don't charge me six dollars. Yeah, you know. Six dollars was. And I know much. they were. Yeah. I know they were trying to be funny, but the send me all the hammers thing and all of the hammers being broken. It just. It was ridiculous. It made made me think. You know, he's going to go through this book. Maybe he'll eventually get a hammer that can last. But that it just. There was nothing redeeming about the book. I mean, yeah. 
Juggernaut was kind of in character, but even he was off character a bit in a few areas. You know, here's the thing I, about Jason Aaron, and we talked, you know, we, we talked uh, a bit about him recently and how I love Jason Aaron. I love his writing in general. I think, um, you know, he, he's, he's Marvel's ace in the hole, right? Uh, but I think one of the things that, if, if now, now that a book like this has come out, one of the things that I'm reminded of in Jason Aaron is that he's also a company man. And, uh, you know, he, this book reeks of editorial mandate to me. Like, uh-huh. he, he, he will write the book that you need him to write. And, you know, after Thor Ragnarok, this is a post-Thor Ragnarok Thor number one. Oh, yeah. Hammer's Broken. Oh, we need the Juggernaut because he's in that Deadpool movie that just came out t- uh, three weeks ago. Um, you know, that, you know. oh, the, Thor and Loki need to team up because people really like seeing them together and it's funny and their book's got to be funny. It's got to be a funny book. Um, you know, and it, it kind of reads like... Which like it that. failed at. Yeah. And I guess it was trying to be funny. You could tell how hard it was trying, and that's how hard it failed. Well, and the sad thing is, you had mentioned the Submariner scene that pissed me off because that was the most interesting part of this book, and it was like a, 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 a you know, made as a one page joke. I'm like, no, no, give me an issue of that. I want to see right. Thor, you know, going to you know, the Submariner and you know, that fight like that. That was an interesting story, and the, the backup, which was basically just a preview for the second storyline of the book. Um, you know, I, I normally like the, the old man Thor mm-hmm. stuff, uh. I'm I'm not and, and maybe my issue was more with the art, but I didn't love this story. No, the only thing I liked about this entire book was Thory. You know the uh, the Hellhound. Thory, yeah, yeah, Thory's great. I love Thory. <laughs> I got a kick out of Thory. That that is the is, only thing that worked for me. Can I murder him with my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I love Thory. Thory's great. But, you know, the rest of this book was crap, and I'm out. I'm not picking up issue two. Yeah, I'm same down. here. I will like. Yeah. Here's the thing. Because it's Jace, because of my appreciation of this Thor run from Jason Aaron, which he says this is his last Thor number one, so I'm assuming that this will be the end of his his run on on Thor. Um, I will likely pick it up when it's ninety nine cents, or uh-huh. when the trade paperback is ninety nine cents. Um, yeah. But I, I'm 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 out from a from a uh, bi weekly or monthly or whatever frequency this book comes out. Stay. Yeah. The last sale I picked up a lot of older, really good Thor. I'm going to read that instead. Yeah. Well, we're going to move from the old gods and go to the new gods. Yeah, sure. And talk about Mr. Miracle number nine from DC Comics. Um, Tom King, Mitch Jarrett's, uh, you know, from, from, I don't know what you thought of this book, Aaron, but I, 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 I loved it. No, no, I, I love this book. I will say that I was not surprised by the ending. I Nor felt like I. this was this was what was going to happen. Um, uh, spoilers, by the way. Um, you know what? Three issues ago, uh, back in I think in issue six, maybe issue seven, uh, Mister Miracle and Big Barda's baby was born, and uh, so you know we and it, while all that's going on, uh, Mister Miracle. Uh, you know, became high father because, you know, Orion had become a high father after high father died. And, uh, and, uh, I'm not going to say under what circumstances Orion passed away, but that, uh, 
uh, you know, Mr. Miracle has inherited the throne. And so now he's High Father and leading the forces of the new gods against uh, the forces of Darkseid. And so issue nine is the peace negotiations, which I found interesting. It, it kind of cracks me up. You know, you, you're, they're, they're negotiating a treaty. You know, at the same time that this week, you know, we had, you know, our, our, our nation's president in, in Singapore negotiating, you know, a treaty. Um, I just was kind of amused by that, the, the, the coincidence there. I was surprised, but, you know, it, it, because this book was clearly written months ago, but it, oh, the, right, the coincidental yeah. timing of it is rather hilarious, but not as yeah. hilarious as Calabac needing readers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and, you know, the uh, the negotiation table, you know, negotiations are taking place on Apocalypse and the table itself is a flat table. But instead of, uh, you know, legs constructed on the table, it is resting on the backs of uh, the downtrodden of Apocalypse. You know, you've got these slaves chained up under the under the uh, the table, you know, on which the table is resting. Um, I found that all highly amusing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think what becomes, you know, in the pages of this book is how compromised Mr. Miracle is in his, uh, just in his short time as ruler, as high father, you know, as ruler of the new gods, because, you know, he is sitting at a table negotiating a peace treaty with apocalypse a table that is, you know, fashioned on the backs of, of, uh, living, breathing, sentient people. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he's, he's negotiating a treaty with people who, who enslave, you know, uh, their citizenry and, you know, view them as, as furniture. Right. Um, and you know, that's not any part of the negotiation. The negotiation is strictly for, you know, to save lives, uh, on new Genesis. It has nothing to do with, you know, how do we make things better for, for the citizens of Apocalypse? So, I mean, from from the jump, you can see how compromised Scott Free is. Uh, and that is he I'm not sure how self-aware he is of that through the book. And that's one of the things I really like about this book is is how complex it is, because you see the goodness in Scott Free, but you also see the very complex requirements uh, of him as a ruler and how bloody he has to get. Yeah, you know, it's the, there's a couple of pages in this book um, that are that are truly fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is, you know, Calabac takes some when you know they're negotiating things. Calabac takes a person out from under the table and basically breaks them against the wall, right, to make a point. And Mister Miracle, totally unfazed, he's like, "When are you going to learn? I'm not Orion." Right. Orion grew up on New Genesis in the lap of luxury. You know, he, Orion is the good one. I, I'm. He says I was granny raised. Like, you know, he grew up on Apocalypse. He was tortured by granny goodness. He doesn't care. Yeah. Like, right. you know, he 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 is hardened. And, yeah. Um, and you see a bit of that break when he looks in the goodness mirror later yeah. on in the book. Yeah, there is that there is that whole speech he gives. You know, Calabac, and it's almost like he's saying, "Look, man, I got no fucks to give you." You know, I mean, he he is so hardcore and you you, you never suspect that uh, in previous incarnations of Scott Free. Right. Because Scott Free was always the brighter, you know, sort of uh, new God. Right. I mean, just the, the, the darkness of apocalypse could not stick to him. You know, he would always escape. He would always find the light. And, you know, the mantle of High Father resting on his shoulders has sort of changed that about him. And I really admire that. But, Paul, can I break for just a moment and say, you know, there is this fantastic moment in the book where he and Big Barda 
are sharing a drink of uh, bone marrow wine. Um, and I, the whole time I'm fascinated by the water bottle that they're using for, uh, for the bone marrow wine. And I'm like, I want, I want that. I want that apocalypse bottle. Yeah. DC entertainment, I, make that happen. Yeah. I need that. I need that bottle. That bottle is awesome. <laughs> if it could be a, a solid 32 ounces, that'd be uh -huh. good. Cause then I could fill yeah. it up with water, bring it to work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that looks awesome. I need it. <laughs> so make that happen. Well, we have been talking for quite a while now, and just because of timing and things like that, we haven't had an opportunity to do our new gods casting call. So, you know, new issue of Mr. Miracle came out. Should we start by casting Mr. Miracle himself? Like, if in the, you know, they, they've got this Ava DuVernay new gods movie coming out. And other than the director, nothing else has really been announced about that movie. But in our ideal New Gods movie, we're going to talk about who he we would cast as uh, the New Gods. Or and, you know, there, there are so many characters in this lore. We had to dwindle it down to to just the ones that we could uh, fit in, in in the context of this podcast. Well, and I gotta say that there was almost a New Gods apocalypse level, you know, uh, uh, crisis. This week, as Paul and I were working on the list, <laughs> because Aaron would not give on Oberon, I, he yeah, needed like, Oberon. Paul. Oberon stays on the list, and I mean, Paul cut him like three times. Like, uh, uh I'm put at. Paul's like, well, we've got eleven on the list now. No, it's twelve. How is it twelve? Oberon's on. Aaron, I cut Oberon. Fuck you, Paul. You, I, I'm not allowing that. <laughs> like, I'll take your firstborn, Aaron, if you want Oberon. <laughs> Yeah, I, the, uh, the, the it was hard because there there are a lot of great characters in the in the New God stable, but we narrowed it down to something like twelve uh, characters. But I think you're right, Paul. I think we should cast sort of the first family of the New Gods, and that would be uh, uh, start with Mister Miracle, Big Barda, and perhaps Oberon, and then we can move on. <laughs> and perhaps Oberon. <laughs> so, Paul. Yes. Who would you cast as our Mr. Miracle for this New Gods film? I, you know, and, and I, I completed this list a, a, a little while back. Um, I have Matt Damon as my Mr. Miracle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and why would you select Matt Damon for that role? Because I think he could pull off the casual fun aspects of Mr. Miracle. And I feel that he can also pull off the tortured, angry aspects of Mr. Miracle that we're seeing in this series. Mm -hmm. and, and how about you, Wayne? Who's your Mr. Miracle? I suck at this. I don't have. <laughs> this I will is, say you know, I. I only have about. Be, Wayne's are all going to be. You know that guy in the thing <laughs> with the with the face. That so guy. Here, here's my problem with a lot of the the casting ones here with with this one in particular. I don't know these characters very well. I don't know their voice. I don't know who would be good for them. So I only was able to cast about half of these. Okay. And what I struggled with with Mr. Miracle was I wanted a character that could really – I wanted an actor that could really portray that – the upbeat. But more than anything, I wanted someone that had some real charisma because I think of Mr. Miracle, I think of the stage presence of him. Sure. And the kind of that uh, – the escape artist aspect, and I know that you, I know that you won't agree with this one, but I went with Johnny Depp because okay. I wanted charisma, and I know that that's not a good choice for Mister Miracle, right? But I couldn't come up with anyone that I felt had that charisma that I see as the character. When when I was casting uh, Mister Miracle, you know, in my in my mind, there is a certain nerd component to Mister Miracle. You know, despite the fact that he's likable. 
Uh, he is he is brighter than he is dark. Um, there there is this component that you know he he should he should seem you know nerdy in contrast to the uh, to the very physicality of of Big Barda. And so I was thinking Andrew Garfield for uh, Mister Miracle. I could see that actually. Yeah, yeah, I I, I could see that. So uh, that was mine. So, so uh, Paul, which, yes. who's your choice for Big Barda? So I chose my Big Barda in relation to my Mister Miracle, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to to have actors or characters that could play off of each other, and you know, obviously Big Barda is, is a tall woman, and you could do that with CG, but I really never like when they do that. Um, so I chose Gwendolyn Christie as my. I don't Big know Barda. who that is. Help me who, with who that is. Gwendolyn Christie is uh, the tall chick from Game of Thrones. She she's oh, also Captain okay. Phasma. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the big blonde the big blonde British woman, I think. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that that's probably a more uh I, PC way of describing that instead of the I, tall so, chick. <laughs> so I have no idea what she looks like then since Captain Phasma never takes off her helmet. <laughs> uh you know, in uh I I I feel like that was the easy casting choice for me because there's not there are tall women in Hollywood, but um I I, I, I don't I, know. That I thought I have well. to tell you, I thought about her. Um, I didn't know her by name. I was I was much like you. I'm thinking, you know, the chick from Game of Thrones. Um, but I didn't go with her because she doesn't have the charisma that I'm looking for. I feel like Big Bart. There is a certain uh, quality that Big Barda has to have on screen, much like uh, Gal Gadot in the Wonder Woman films, uh, Wonder Woman character. Um, you should smile when she comes on screen because you just like her so much, not because she's so pretty. But because you just like her so much, right? Because everybody loves Big Barda, you know? Um, and so I struggled with it because I, I couldn't think of an actress with the physical stature uh, that would be, you know, required to play Big Barda, particularly tall, muscular, you know, but also has that charisma. And so, you know, unlike you, you know, I'm like, well, you're going to have to CG it. You're going to have to do something like, you know, how you made the, the you know, uh, Elijah Woods look small in comparison to all the other actors in Lord of the Rings. You're going to have to do something with, uh, with the actress that plays Big Barda to make her seem, you know, rather giant-like uh, with the... Uh, with, with Mr. Miracle and the other, you know, normal sized characters. And so I went with a character and you guys might not know who, who this actress is. Uh, she is a British actress named Lily James. Um, are, are you familiar with her at all, Paul? The name rings a bell. Tell me something she's been in. Uh, the thing that I, that, that I remember her from is Downton Abbey. And what's hysterical is, uh, she has, she's been in a number of things since then. Uh, but she has, you know, she played this very sort of, uh, petite, demure, uh, you know, uh, 1920s, uh, uh, you know, flapper sort of character on, uh, on Downton Abbey. But she has, you know, really become quite the athlete, you know, very, very, very muscular and whatnot. And I saw a picture of her. And, you know, the charisma that she had in Downton Abbey really is is that sort of you just like her. I'm you familiar know, you, you, from her from uh, with her from Baby Driver. Yeah, yeah, she, exactly. Same actress. Okay. She has got this terrific charisma. Um, I think that, you know, she she is she is very physical. Um, I, I think she'd make a great big bard. I think she I think she's got the, the, the charisma and the physicality to, to pull that off. So like Aaron, I gave up on the idea of finding someone that fit physically, like the tall, because I just couldn't come up with anyone that would fit from a, you know, 
a really tall actress. Uh, so I wanted someone who is beautiful but has shown that they can kick ass in action movies. Mm-hmm. And I went with Kate Beckinsale. Yes, I like Kate Beckinsale. You know, and, and that was also one of the things I struggled with because the I feel like the 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 actor should be late twenties, early thirties. And, you know, I know we're fantasy casting, so we could say, well, we pull Kate Beckinsale from another era, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, you know, she, she's a, a little long in the tooth, I think, to currently play uh, uh, Big Barda. Well, and that's one thing that, you know, and, and part of me is not great with, with um, this type of cat fantasy casting because right. I don't cast each character in a vacuum. Right. Like right. I, 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 I like if, I, if Matt Damon is my Mr. Miracle, who would work well alongside Matt Damon? Um, you know, and, and so that's that that's the thinking I go with. Um, I also, you know, like I, I'm, I'm particular about the CG stuff. I'm like, God, don't don't make people small and don't make people big. Like when, <laughs> when they made um, Peter Dinklage, that giant in, in Avengers Infinity War, I'm like, God, don't do that. <laughs> that annoyed me. Um, so, but which, did it bother you in Lord of the Rings? I thought it worked in Lord of the Rings. It didn't bother me at first, I will say. Uh, but I think as time has gone on, I don't think a lot of movies do it as well as Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, so let, let me clarify by saying that I, I don't think a lot of movies do it as well as, as Lord of the Rings. I think it's more obvious in other movies. Um, you know, which brings us to Aaron. Oprah. Oberon. Oberon. <laughs> so I feel like I need to let Wayne go first because I feel like I know who Wayne's going to cast as Oberon. <laughs> you know, I, you're expecting me to say Peter Dinklage. I am because I, I just I feel like I feel like that's who you're going to cast. But I don't see him in that role and I couldn't come up with anyone good for the role. I do I, like Oberon. I, I love Oberon and I, <laughs> I kind of went a different way. Um, I, I was thinking of, you know, uh, proportionate actors, actors of a certain size. And uh, I went with Kevin Hart. Interesting. Yeah. I think that would be, I, you know, Oberon's kind of, uh, you know, crusty. He, but he's got a sense of humor. Um, I, I think that, I think Kevin Hart could, could really pull that off. I, um, you know, I, I pondered a, a Warwick Davis uh, for a little while and I'm like, ah, but he's too warm and endearing. Um, right. So I went with Danny DeVito. Oh, see, I could see that. I think Danny DeVito's a, a, a good choice for that. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. He, he's not a he's not a little person, but he is a little. No, but person. he's 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 <laughs> yeah. he's smaller than the average guy. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea what he looks like now, or because I mean, he looks the same. He's, he's probably got a little long in the tooth as well. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay for Oberon. You can get away with that on Oberon. Yeah. So uh, you want to go with High Father now? Yes, and I well, can we do? This is a two-part. In, instead of separating them, can we talk about High Father and Dark Side together? Because I feel like those are those are the two like big components, right? These are the two yeah. like uh, masters, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or, or should I go first? No, well, I could go first if you'd prefer. You go first. So my my casting of High Father, you know, I I thought really hard about it, and you know, you, you need somebody sort of you know statesmanly, somebody who who's got a great voice, someone with some presence. And so I went with Morgan Freeman, largely because I can I can already imagine the line Scott Free crawled to freedom through 500 yards of shit smelling foulness I can't even imagine. Yeah. So that was largely why I went with Morgan Freeman. Uh, but uh, I I I think Morgan Freeman would make a great high father. Um, now, 
alongside that, I feel like Darkseid has to be CG to some effect. You know, I think you've got to do the uh, green dot suit for whatever actor, you know, is going to play Darkseid. And for me, I can't think of a. I I think you've really got to cast the voice of Darkseid. And so for me, I can't think of anybody that I'd like better than Clancy Brown to play Darkseid. I think he's got that. He's, you know, he, you know, Clancy Brown voiced Lex Luthor in the the Superman animated series. Um, you know, he was the Kurgan in uh, Highlander. Uh, he's been in you know any number of things. I think he's doing voicing work for SpongeBob SquarePants now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I just love him. I love Clancy Brown. I love him as an actor. I love him as a voice actor. Uh, and I think he would just make a really imposing, terrifying sort of dark side. You know, I had a similar line of thinking. Um, and I, and I love Clancy Brown. I love mm-hmm. Clancy Brown's voice. And, you know, as a person, he seems like a really genuine dude. Um, but it's, it's funny because no one to me can voice dark side better than Michael Ironside. I, I struggled with that yep. too. Cause I, but I, I was like, oh man, you know, yeah, Michael Irons, there's no reason he couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're doing the, and, and I, 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 and in dark side's case, I did think CG with the dots and, and that kind of thing. So I went with Michael Ironside. I'm like, th- like yeah. that when I read dark side, I hear Michael Ironside. Um, so not to jump in since you haven't done your high father yet, mm-hmm. but I went with Michael Ironside as well for Dark Side yes. for that very reason because that is the voice. Because I had that same thought. He's going to be mostly CG. Who's the voice? I seriously thought about Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the bottom line is, to me, Dark Side has one voice. It's the one I'm used to. And I think Michael Ironside easily pulls this off. Yeah, I can see that. Well, so who's your high father, Paul? Here's the interesting bit. Uh-oh. Michael Ironside? Yes! <laughs> That's why I wanted to do them together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's it's two sides of the same coin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Look at you. That's, Look at I, you. I, I, yeah, you saw that coming. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> Michael is. Ironside with a beard. Uh-huh. That is kind of clever, actually. Uh, for my high father, like Aaron, I wanted somebody that I thought could do statesman and could do the political side of it. And I went with Terrence Stamp. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Terrence Stamp. Good, good choice. Solid choice. So um, what about what about High Father's, uh, you know, you know, right hand man, Dasad? Uh, what do you think about that, Paul? You mean Dark Side's right hand man? Yeah. Dark Side. I, right. I know that it's confusing because it's Michael Ironside for both. Right. right. Um, for Dasad, I that one was an obvious choice for me as well. I went with Tobin Bell. Um, and for you non-horror people, Tobin Bell is Jigsaw from the Saw movies. Um, oh, okay. You know, and, and, and as, as the master of torture, it seemed kind of like stunt casting, but it kind of fit well for me. Uh, so I went Tobin Bell for that. I, you know, it was also a no-brainer for me. I, this was the easiest choice that I had on this entire list. Uh, and I, I don't know if you guys are going to know him by name, but Brad Dorif. Uh, who played yeah. Piper DeVries and David Lynch's Dune. He's currently the voice of Chucky, Chucky. and he's Doc Cochran in, in HBO's Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy oozes <laughs> slimy bad guy. I mean, he he is the slimiest son of a bitch you ever see on screen. Uh, you know, he's that he's that creeper in the background, uh, just like Dasad is. And, and that's what I love about this actor. Um, I, I think he'd make it just a marvelous Dasad. That's a solid choice. I, I, I like Brad Dourif quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I, I love Chucky, um, but he's also got a really 
like you said, slimy, memorable yeah. screen presence. Oh, yeah. He's so, a fantastic character actor. Aaron, this is amazing to me because I picked the exact same actor. Did but you the really? Reason, the reason I picked him was from Wormtongue in uh, oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Because I was looking for that uh, sleazy, you know, the kind of person that could do uh, – planning and backstabbing and sleaziness so that was the first thing i did was i looked up who played worm tongue in lord of the rings and it was Vlad, brad duraf i i love that actor i i just I, I love seeing him on the screen he is just he is so terribly evil <laughs> um okay so what about your granny goodness what kind of goodness are you gonna bring granny uh i'll, I'll kick us off on granny goodness i went with sigourney weaver uh, for, for, I, I think Sigourney Weaver now is embracing some of the creepier, more villainous roles. And mm-hmm. I think she could pull off the granny goodness. I, Cause I, I didn't want to go Kathy Bates. That felt too, too low hanging fruit for me. Sure. So the person I really wanted is dead. So if, <laughs> if this is fantasy, you know, casting, I could go back with that. Cause I think B Arthur has had the look, has the. The voice. Just, yeah, yeah, the voice of her. And that would be my ideal casting would be B. Arthur. Because I think she could have pull, pulled it off. She would come off as she can be the angry, the creepy. the. I think she's the total package for Granny Goodness. Mm-hmm. But since she's dead, I went with Betty White. That is exactly who I went with, Wayne. I, I absolutely went with Betty White. I think Betty White would be just creepy as fuck as, uh, as Granny Goodness. That's, and I think yeah. she'd be, I think she'd be a lot of fun as Granny Goodness, with the um, right director I, behind her. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Betty White is one of those actors that you really have to direct. So, no, I, I agree. You've got to have the, the, the right director on it. But I think Betty White would be fantastic in that role. Hmm. Right, Look at you right, and Wayne Paul. agreeing uh, on two two of these. This, I mean, it's a sure sign of the apocalypse, Paul. Well, remember when I said I'd only uh, cast about half of them. We've gone through all but one of my. Well, who, who haven't we cast, cast yet that you that you have a cast for? Metron. Oh, well, oh I, let's do. Let's. You you, you want to you want to finish off uh, the the dark side folks because we've still got Calabac to go. Yeah, and I want to talk about Orion too. Okay. Uh, let's do Calabac, then we'll do Metron. Yeah, let's do Calabac and Metron. Okay. So so Paul, I uh, I don't know why this character this actor really has sort of a Calabac quality in in my brain. Um, but I went with Luis Guzman. Are, are you familiar with Luis Guzman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, he uh, he just really has sort of that uh, – in the, the way I read Calabac, uh, I, 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 I kind of I I kind of had that Luis Guzman. And maybe it's because I, I, was, I was affected by – because I did my casting after I finished reading uh, this week's uh, uh, Mr. Miracle. And maybe there was something in the way uh, Calabac was drawn, but the, you know there there is a certain, and I don't mean to be insulting when I say that. There's sort of a uh, hedgehog quality about Luis Guzman. Yeah, uh, you know where he there, there's a shape to him that reminds me a little bit of Calabac, and he has this very dry wit about him, um, and he can he can act without saying a word. And Calabac is kind of a few words yeah. uh, most of the time. Um, you know, I, he, uh, Luis Guzman says a lot when he's not saying anything. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I went with him. 
Who did you go with, Paul? See, I like Luis Guzman. I love, I love the guy as an actor. He's he's always uh-huh. a fun screen presence. But I went a different way with it because, you know, I I, I hear you can you can view Calabac more of like the the seedy hunchbacky type guy, or you yeah. can view him as the the bruiser as well. Right. And you know, depending on the portrayal, you you get one of one of either. And so I went with the bruiser. Um, you know, and with that in mind, I thought, well, then we're probably still talking CG. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I went with Keith David. I don't um, know who that is. Keith David is from... I know who David Keith is. <laughs> I just don't know who Keith David is. Keith David is the tall African-American actor from The Thing. Um, and they live... He's got that deep, deep voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I just, like, his voice just, like, I, I could see him doing the, the Calabac voice. And so that, that that was my choice. He was um, he was also the voice of Solovar on the Flash yeah, yeah. as a as a Flash guy. Yeah. So I, that that was that's the voice I, I heard in mind when I thought of uh, Calabac. So Wayne hit me with your Metron. All right. So I wanted somebody that could do a really flat performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably not going to know the actor's name, Neil Standalands. Oh yeah, I don't know who that is. He's the guy that played the thinker on season four of Flash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pl- the one DeVoe. Yep. He's the guy that played DeVoe. I thought that he could do an incredible Metron. I, I would agree with that. He actually even kind of fits the role in that chair. Exactly. Because that was the first thing when I saw the chair. I'm like, is that supposed to be Metron? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. How, how about you, Paul? I went with Alan Tudyk. Um I can as see that. Metron. His his voice as well uh, struck me as as the having that ability to and and even though we're not going to go into that character, I'm going to say it. Uh, you know, it, because I, I felt like these actors could be a little bit interchangeable. I went with Doug Jones as Forager. Uh, oh yeah, and I feel like he could have also done a Metron. Yeah. Well, for for Metron, uh, I went with Peter Dinklage. I went a little a, a little atypical on the casting, but I really like uh, Peter Dinklage's voice. Um, I, I like him in a larger role rather than a smaller role. <laughs> I did not intend that pun, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see him, uh, do something like, like that Metron character because, you know, uh, Metron is sort of, you know, quietly menacing, you know, he is, he, there is that air of mystery about him and, you know, he knows more than you do and, you know, everything he knows is terrible, um, and I think Peter Dinklage carries that off really well. Um, I did not cast Forager. Uh, this is this is my 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 one blank spot on uh, on my list. I just could not figure out my take on Forager at all. Um, so I, I adopt your Doug Jones, Paul. You know it, what, what? You know what I appreciate about you, Aaron, mm-hmm. is that you know when I casted these actors, I casted to the iconic image in my head. Whereas right. you are not afraid to break convention and cast against type, sure. um, you know, with the, with your Morgan Freeman, High Father, and and folks like that. So I, I appreciate that about you. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. So who do we have I can't left on our of, list? I I can't think of anything I appreciate about you, Paul. Oh, I can't either. I, so. I apologize. I was going to try and be reciprocal there. <laughs> I, I'm failing at that. But now it's but, just awkward. So we have uh, a light ray. Have we a, have a, I say you have light ray and Orion left. So let's go with light ray, and then we'll finish. Finish big with Orion. How about that? Okay. So I'm going in the in the in the way back machine on this one. Um, 
every time I thought about who I would cast as Light Ray, um, you know, I was thinking of qualities like, you know, uh, number one, young, because I feel like Light Ray always feels young to me. Um, I felt like someone who is kind of a swashbuckler, right? Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who is, you know, maybe a little flamboyant, not flamboyant like Kanto is flamboyant, but flamboyant like, you know, he, he, he he's going to swing from the chandelier to save somebody. He's he's going to get the girl. You know, that's that's the the the, the feel I have for Light Ray uh, in most of the new God stories I've read. And the 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 actor that kept coming to mind was the uh, uh the 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 very young uh, uh, Carrie Elways in uh, um, oh shoot what's the princess, princess movie Bride. thank you Princess Bride I kept thinking Princess Diaries and I knew that was wrong but yeah from the Princess Bride you know where he's the Dread Pirate Roberts that's the version of Carrie Elways I think of for Light Ray okay okay so so now we so now we're, we're we are doing the time travel thing well just on this one that's the only one that I felt like I needed to go into the Wayback Machine. <laughs> <laughs> so my choice for Light Ray was Joel McHale. And if you're not familiar with Joel McHale, he used community? to Community? Yeah, Community. Yeah, and, and uh, what? Uh, talk. Uh, talk Soup. Yeah, uh, Talk Soup. Most recently, he was Tad O'Malley on the uh, the last couple of seasons of The X-Files. Yeah. Uh, he's playing Woody in the upcoming Quantum and Woody TV series. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, he, he kind of embodies that Light Ray fun funny mm -hmm. aspect but you know the thing about light ray is that he's fun and funny but he's not like he's not spider-man um no, no. but you know that's so I, I i thought he still got a regal aspect to him so i i went with him for light ray so my orion and i'm, I'm sorry you didn't have one did you Wayne? no you're, done? you're out okay so yeah, my orion is largely cast for the eyes they're, they're, the way Orion has been drawn since Jack Kirby first put him on the page, he has got a scowl on him that will just break you, right? I mean, there is there is something just awful in the way Orion looks at people when he's angry, right? Mm -hmm. And I went with Michael Shannon. Uh, okay. I, I, Michael, Michael Shannon has that Orion brow going on. Um, there is something, you know, just scary about how Michael Shannon looks at you. And, you know, just to, to refresh people's minds, he played Zod in uh, Man of Steel. He played Elvis in Elvis Meets Nixon. <laughs> uh, he uh, is, he's in he was something, in the Shape right of Water now. recently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Michael Shannon's a great choice. Yeah. I, I went with an actor who, again, with, you know, keeping, you know, starting with the, uh, the, the Matt Damon, Mr. Miracle, who did I want to see as that spiritual brother to Mr. Miracle? Because right they're, they're they're kind of like that. Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, but also I thought about the scowl. I thought about the the angst of, of Orion. Um, but also the fact that, you know, much like you, you reading this Mr. Miracle book, uh, and this is a long lead up for ultimately not like a you know, an amazing choice or anything. But, um, <laughs> you know, that this guy like he, he he's he's. Like he's been raised in luxury, right? He's not that much of a he. He has no reason to be as angsty as he is. Um, yeah. How about with Carl Urban as my Orion? Oh yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You know, I, I think he's got that curmudgeony aspect to him, but also, you know, like he he. I don't know. Like I think he he could work well against Matt Damon. You know, one so, of the things I it's like interesting that you said. Sorry, it's interesting you said Matt Damon, Paul, because I did think about. 
Orion. And the only person that popped to mind was Matt Damon really has the Orion chin. He does. He does. One of the things I like about your choice on Carl Urban, Paul, is that Carl Urban, when he's playing, when when he is not a leading man, when he is playing a character, you know, when Mm -hmm. he's doing a supporting role, he really disappears into the role. Yes. I mean, I think he is unrecognizable in Lord of the Rings as Carl Urban. Agreed. You know, I mean, he just, I mean, I remember the first time I said, well, Carl Urban, you know, in Lord of the Rings, I'm like, fuck you, Carl Urban was not in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he is. And I mean, he, he, I mean, legit disappears into that role. Um, and, and I like that about, I love that about, you know, actors who can just disappear, you know, who don't feel like they've got to push their brand forward, uh, that they can actually just assume the character roles. I think Carl Urban's a great choice for that. Thanks. So I have one question before we wrap up our new gods casting call and start talking about the books that are coming out next week, uh-huh. which is you know, we, we, we cut, we trimmed a couple of characters for time. Did you cast Glorious Godfrey? I did not. Okay. I did. Okay. I, I, I my choice for Glorious Godfrey was Jason Bateman. I can see that. I, I feel like Jason Bateman can pull off the sleaze. Um, but like that charming sleaze aspects to Glorious Godfrey, which mm-hmm. if you, if you incorporate in Glorious Godfrey, then you're kind of incorporating the whole planet earth thing. It's not just like a specific new gods movie. Sure. Sure. Well, I find what's great is that, you know, we, we, we trimmed Glorious Godfrey for time and then Paul brings Glorious Godfrey back into it. Yeah, I did it. That's what I find amazing. Well, so, how about, you know, how about that Oberon? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, but at least I had the courage to stand up to your apocalyptic regime, dark side. Oh, well, I snuck it in and, and say no. I draw the line here. Well, like, far, like no Scott further. Free, <laughs> it escaped into this conversation. That's right. That's right. Well, so Paul, Paul, yes, sir. Paul, what's coming out next week? Well, next week on June twentieth, we're going to get a couple of uh, you know a couple of solid releases. We are going to get the new issue of Avengers, which I think I'm the only one reading, the Ed McGinnis, Jason Aaron run on Avengers. Um, we are also getting Dan Slott's final issue of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 801, written by Dan Slott, art by Marcos Martin. Um, it's coming out from Marvel Comics. From DC, we're getting, obviously, Man of Steel number four. Um, and the artist on Man of Steel number four is... I don't know off the top of my head. Um, you know, it changes artists every issue. And next week's is actually Kevin Maguire. Very excited. Um, and you're also going to get from DC Comics Justice League number two from Scott Snyder and Jorge Jimenez. And Batman number 49, continuing the lead up, or, or the, the I guess the last issue before the big wedding in issue number 50. Ooh, ooh. I got to get caught up on Batman. I'm way behind. Oh, are you really? I am. I'm way behind. Oh, you got to read that 48 with the Joker in it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I got to. I, I haven't done it yet. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get caught up. Do I'm it. Get it off my back. My God, God you have one Blow job. Read ass, comics. Paul. God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, lots to read. We want to hear your comments. Uh, particularly, tell us what you thought about the uh, fantasy casting. Tell us your ideas. Uh, you can do that by giving us a call at nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. That number once again nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. And if we use your voicemail in the show. You'll win a coveted, valuable, Ideology of Madness surprise. And you can also reach out on Twitter at Ideology Madness, Facebook IOM Geek, Instagram IOM Geek, or hit us up at Ideology of Madness at gmail.com. Because, you know, if you're doing a, a fantasy casting, it might be more than you can fit in your standard tweet. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you right back here next time. Same Apocalypse channel, same Apocalypse time, IOMGeek.com. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.